Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Pastor Shane Bennett. I am the church planning pastor at Reformation OPC, which is uh, trying to plant a church at Calvin. Uh, so when you uh, donate your funds to the uh, general offering or for the presbytery meetings, you are actually supporting our work. So I just wanted to say thank you for your support, uh, both financially and through your prayers. Uh, and with that, let us now turn to our scripture reading for this evening, as well as the sermon text. It comes from Exodus, chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Exodus, chapter 16. They set out from Elim. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion each day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because of the, uh, the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumbled against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tents. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. When they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And the Lord said to them, Leave or let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. 
Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he give his blessing to it. When I was a child, we used to sing a song in church. Now, I'm not going to sing it to you. I will tell it to you, but it went like this. Hopefully, some of your children are still singing this song. But it said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And we would sing it again as a round. We'd say, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. And we would do this repeatedly with all of the different kids singing the same song or same words in different parts over and over again until the teacher had her fill of either our beautiful voices uh, because we were singing in perfect harmony, I'm sure, or she was just tired of it all. But as I think back to that time when we used to sing that song, it was truly a beautiful sound that was coming out of the lips of babes and infants. Not because our singing was so wonderful, but because of the truth that was coming from our lips. You see, I didn't know it at the time, I was a very young child, but it was much later that I realized that this song that we were singing together was really straight from the scriptures. It wasn't just a nice thing that we should say to one another, but that it was indeed a command that we find in Philippians chapter 4, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, to always find a reason to rejoice because of the joy of the Lord. Now, that may not be a startling truth to you, that as Christians we are called to rejoice in the Lord at all times, and in all places, perhaps that's something that you have known every day of your life, that there's nothing particularly earth-shattering about this idea here, but perhaps there should be. It should be more startling to us when we realize this isn't, this isn't an optional command, and that's the way we often read this, right? It's not up for debate. It's not something you get to do when you feel like it and not do when you don't feel like it. This is your reasonable service as a follower of Christ, as one who belongs to the triune God. God calls us and he even commands us to rejoice in him always, meaning at all times 
and in all circumstances, whatever they may be, and in all places, wherever we may be, to not do so, to not rejoice, is in fact a serious sin against our Heavenly Father, our Lord, and our God. And the truth be told, I highly doubt any of us realize quite how serious a sin it is to not rejoice in Him, or to put it in other words, how serious it is to complain about the circumstances of our lives, to grumble about how bleak it all seems. We don't take this particular sin of complaining or lack of rejoicing all that seriously. You know, just consider how many times you found yourself complaining or grumbling about one small thing or another just this past week. And try as we might, I guarantee you that in this past week alone, there were at least one or two moments when you did not rejoice in all circumstances, but instead grumbled and complained. And yet, people of God, when we come face to face with the text before us, when we see our God, we see a God who takes this sin seriously. And so the question is, what is the heart of the matter when we grumble and complain, and can it be solved? Our text opens up this evening, and the first thing that we see is a complaint in the desert, a complaint in the desert. As you come to the first uh, three verses this evening, you'll notice that Moses wastes no time as he writes to get to the heart of the matter. That's one of the things I love about uh, the Hebrew authors, you know, they get right to the point. What is the main problem here? And the text tells us that after the people of God have been refreshing themselves at the springs of Elim for some time, at least for six weeks, they have been kicking back and relaxing by these streams because now they are preparing to depart again and they're Uh, preparing to move on. And it tells us that the people of God rose up and all the congregation, the whole assembly left from that place and began their pilgrimage again into the wilderness. And right away, a problem arises and it's front and center in our faces. In fact, it is the problem of the text. The whole chapter centers around how God will deal with this one particular issue and what it means when he does. The food stores are starting to run low. And you'll notice the language of the text. The whole congregation, the whole people of God, all of them, down to the last man, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. A whole nation of malcontents, if you will. And the first thing I want you to see about this particular situation before we start digging into the nature of their complaint is the pattern that keeps emerging here again and again in the lives of the people of God. And it will continue to emerge throughout the story of the Exodus, even as uh, as early as chapter 17. We'll hear it again. See, the people of God are in a habit of complaining, one that is not easy to break. Habits are, in fact, really hard things to break, aren't they? I mean, have you ever tried to break a habit? Have you ever tried to get out of bed on the first time the alarm went off when you're used to getting up at the second or the third? 
It's really quite difficult, actually. Have you tried to change your bedtime routine, even changing it by an hour one way or the other? When you were a kid, did you ever stop trying to bite your fingernails or have your mom tell you to stop picking your nose in public? I mean, these are difficult things to break. Habits are extremely powerful. And as you come to this text, the people of God are in a habit of complaining all throughout the book of Exodus. And that may be true of us as well. And you may not even realize it. You might think of yourself as a glass half empty kind of person, or you say to yourself, I'm just a realist who happens to see all the imperfections and all the flaws in any given situation or person. That's just how I am, and that's how you see yourself. But ask your spouse or someone close to you, do you complain regularly about anything, about work, about the weather? It is easy. It is so easy for us to complain, even though we live in one of the most privileged countries of the world. It has become second nature for us to complain or to have a habit of complaint because we believe that we deserve the good life. For Israel, this habit of complaining that you are seeing crop up right here in this text, it is a habit that has been going on for years as they suffered under the bondage and slavery of Pharaoh. It is unlikely that they rejoiced in the particular circumstances of their slavery. And once Moses is sent to, uh, by God to deliver them and Pharaoh hears about it and increases their labor, Israel, again, we see in the text, grumble and complain. And when they come to the Red Sea, after they've been delivered out of the land of bondage and they are hemmed in at the Red Sea, Israel again crumbles and complains and they whine and they say, have you brought us out into this desert to die because there were not enough graves in Egypt for us there? And they complain at Mara about the water that they cannot drink. And lo and behold, in our text again, the moment things look difficult and trying, they complain once more. It is really hard to overestimate its importance here, but Israel is in the habit of complaining, and they cannot seem to get out of it. They cannot seem to change it. It is a besetting sin for them. And we might look at their circumstances here and think, well, you know, this one that they are facing right now, it's sort of a, a reasonable complaint that they have. You know, look at everything that's gone wrong for them as they have left the land of Egypt. They can't seem to catch a break. But that's simply not true because for everything that has gone wrong for the people of God, something else has gone right. They just aren't able to see it for one reason or another. You see, the people of God, the problem here, that, uh, as it's articulated in our text, I think Philip Graham Ryken puts it very well when he says, our complaints really are never caused by our outward circumstances. You hear that? It's never the actual issues that surround us that are the problem. But he says, but instead, they reveal the inward condition of our hearts. There is a problem right here on the inside. It's not the situation. It's not the person. 
Because like Paul says, we can and we are called to rejoice in all circumstances, both in plenty and in want. But what is the nature of the complaint of Israel here? I mean, is their complaint even legitimate? I mean, is it worth even exploring this to see if there's something to this complaint that they bring? Well, just hear what they say. Oh, if only we had died in Egypt. Really? Really? They aren't even satisfied that God has done anything for them at all? Not one bit? Oh, if only he had let us die in that land of slavery and bondage, for we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full there. I hope, I hope as you hear that, you realize what an exaggeration this is. You know, this is typical of us when we complain. We'll often look back on the way things used to be on the, the good old days, whatever they are, and say, you know, things used to be great, but now they're not. It's like we forget all the pain and the suffering that went along with those good old days. We are quick to forget the hard times and to remember only the good. Just listen to Israel. They are remembering a place where they were whipped, where they were beaten, where they are bloodied, and now they say with with longing in their hearts, oh, if only we could go back there to that place where we had full bellies, which even that is most likely an exaggeration. Slaves rarely were ever given what was actually needed to fill and sustain them. It's not like they were feasting at Pharaoh's table. Finally, notice who all of this is directed at. It says they complained against Moses and Aaron. Now, that word complaint, it can be used to understand a formal accusation. Like if you were to go to the courtroom and say, my landlord didn't fix the leaky roof and now all my stuff is ruined. That is a formal complaint. That is a charge you are bringing. It puts someone in the dock. Someone is responsible. And so someone is going on trial. And it seems like they're saying it is all Pastor Moses' fault. And that good-for-nothing elder Aaron, they put the leaders of the church on trial, leaders who are seeking their spiritual good, their edification, who are seeking to build up and strengthen the church of God because things aren't going as good as they used to be. But notice, it's not really Moses and Aaron who are in the dock. It's not Moses and Aaron who are being put on trial here. It is God himself. That's what Moses and Aaron say in verses 7 and 8 when they say, you're grumbling not against us, it is against the Lord. You see, that's why grumbling is such a serious sin. It's because when we are discontent with the circumstances brought on by those situations that are around us, and we'll blame our leaders, but every single time we grumble and complain, whether it is about our children or our parents or our neighbors or our work or our lack thereof or our governor or the decisions being made by your elders or COVID-19, we grumble and complain against God himself. We find fault with him because he is the one who governs all of his creatures and all of their actions. And yet the truly amazing part of this story 
I hope you'll see it as we go, is not that the people of God are sinners. That part shouldn't shock us so much. But that God, in spite of their complaints against them, gives them provision in the desert. Provision in the desert. You'll notice in verses 4 through 18 how God responds. He doesn't strike Israel down. He doesn't smite them. He will in numbers in a very similar issue with quail, but not here, not in this particular setting. No, he's gracious to them. He condescends to them, to their needs. He stoops down and says, you know what? I am going to rain bread down from heaven. I am going to feed you. Every single day of your wilderness wanderings, I'm going to provide for you everything that you need. Moment by moment, day in and day out, I will give you your daily bread. I'm going to take care of you. And the only catch is it will be day by day. You will be dependent upon me each and every new day in the exact same way. Every single day, the people of God will have to trust God afresh and anew, trusting that He will again provide for them, that He will feed them, that He will clothe them, that He will satisfy their basic needs. Not their wants, not their excesses, you'll notice. Remember, He's just giving them bread, the most basic form of sustenance. And God answers the complaints of the people of God, but you'll notice he does it in a way that requires God's people to grow in their trust of him. And for the next 40 years, as they wander through this Israel, Israel, wander through this wilderness, Israel will be taught this lesson over and over and over again, day in and day out, to trust their God, that he will provide for them, that he will care for them, that he is watching over them. What a wonderful truth, people of God, that God will provide for his people all that we need each and every day. And that promise doesn't change. It doesn't look like, uh, it might not look like what you want it to look like. It might not look like the meat pots of Egypt, but it will be everything that you need because he is the Lord. God's already demonstrated to his people over and over again. If you've been reading through the Exodus up to this point, he has provided over and over again for his people. He's brought plagues down on all the enemies of God. He's brought the waters of judgment down upon their heads as they pursued them through the uh, uh, waters of the Red Sea. He has made bitter water sweet that they might drink of it. And now he is bringing manna from heaven to feed his people. And you, God's people, must see and know and trust that if he's done all that, if you can look back to his track record and see that he has protected you from the enemies of God and he has provided you every single step along the way, that he is going to provide for you your daily bread. And isn't that literally what the Lord calls us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? the prayer of the church, right? We ask that God would give us this day our daily bread, that he would sustain us with all that we need today, this day, and no more. It is our hope that God's people, 
as they recognize, as they look back to the provisions of God throughout history, throughout their own lives, that didn't, you know, even the last six weeks of their lives, how he has provided for them, and that God's people would look back on those circumstances and trust completely on the providence and provision of God. That's what we hope would happen for ourselves. But that's not what we see happen in this text. And it's not what we see in our own lives either, because each and every time we grumble and complain anew, we are trusting or failing to trust in the provision and providence of God. It's not what we see here in the text of Israel. Notice Moses gives the people specific instructions. He tells them, gather just enough for the day at hand. And yet there are some who try to gather more. And the question is, why? Why do they do this particular thing? It's because they think they cannot trust this God that he will truly care for them. Oh, sure, he'll provide bread for me today, but what about tomorrow? And the bread that he gives begins to stink and breed worms, and it goes up as a stench in the nostrils of God because they do not trust God's provision. They don't know yet, after all this time, that they can take God at his word, the same God who brought them through the Red Sea. They don't know that they can trust that particular God and all that he has done. And then they do it again. How many times do you need to do this? God tells them on the sixth day, take twice as much so that you can rest on that day that I rest. I'm going to take a holiday, and you take one too. So I'll provide for you everything that you need for two whole days. And yet we see God's people walk again in disobedience. They ignore the Sabbath day and the rest that God has provided for his people because surely we need to work on Sunday. Surely we need to keep working. Surely we can't take a day off to rest and worship in you. God provides them a rest, and it too is ignored until finally the text culminates in verse 28 where God says, how long, how long will you sin against me? You complain, you mutter discontent, you are constantly dissatisfied with me and my provisions for you. When are you going to get it that I care for you? And that is the question for us, isn't it, people of God? Because like it or not, we are Israel. We constantly sin against him. And especially in these ways articulated right here in our text, daily we complain about our circumstances and we'll say things, we'll try to mask it. We'll say things like, I'm just venting or I'm just frustrated. Those are just nice, polite ways of saying, I am grumbling against God and against the circumstances or the people that he has brought into my life, and I need to hide it or soften it a bit so you don't think I'm such a bad person. See, people of God, the problem before us is that God expects us to rejoice always and to no longer grumble and complain against him, yet we cannot keep this law. So where do we go from here? Well, back in chapter 15, something you all didn't have the privilege to look at, we are shown 
in that particular text that the only way forward is when Moses, Moses who is a type of Christ, Moses who is the suffering servant of God, Moses who is the mediator between God and his people, who intercedes for his people, and he hears a word from God and he obeys this bitter word of the Lord so that the whole congregation might drink of the living water. You see, people of God, our Lord has been pointing all along, even here when God's people fail Him miserably, to the cross. Because that's what we need. Where we see our need of Him most pointedly put. The one who would be perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. The one who would never grumble or complain or raise His voice against Him, but instead would go as a sheep to, his she- or a sheep to the slaughter before His shears and would be silent. He would open not his mouth, never raise a voice of complaint. When he was in the wilderness without food for 40 days and the devil comes to tempt him, Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. He would live himself by the very word of God, a word that all Israel, all the people of God has proven over and over again is that we are unable to keep. Don't you see, people of God? Christ came down from heaven. He rained down the manna from heaven to feed his people. He became the bread of life, the very provision the people of God needed on a daily basis to trust anew upon. You see, people of God, the good news of the gospel is that God knows that we are disobedient. He wasn't caught by surprise at the complaints of Israel. He knows what is in our hearts. He knows that we are sinners and that we grumble and complain against him. And yet, and yet, he provides for his people anyway. That even while we did not trust him, even now, after he has delivered us from the bondage of our sin by his death and resurrection on the cross, even now he provides for all we need. You see, people of God, our Father has provided everything that we need for life and godliness, as Second Peter says. He himself, the Christ, is the provision we need. And you might say, well, yeah, pastor, but the bills are due next week, and I have no money to pay them. I lost my job, and I might lose the house. And that's true. You might. In God's providence, he might bring you to some extremely difficult circumstances and seasons of your life. Don't you see, people of God, God's provision for you is far greater than a weekly paycheck. He has given you his own son. Shall your heavenly Father then, who has given you the life of his only begotten son, not provide for you then after your daily bread? Ask your heavenly Father, what would He do for you? Would He give you a snake if you ask for a fish? No. 
We serve a good and loving and kind God, one who has given you so much, even his own son, so that you might have the freedom from your sins and life everlasting in his presence. And if all that is true, the people of God, how ought we to respond in the midst of difficult circumstances of life that we don't care for? When trials come our way that we are bucking up against, how ought we respond in the midst of these things? We're to look to our Savior and rejoice. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let us not grumble against those who have been put over us to watch over and care for our souls. Let us not grumble and complain about any circumstances, for our God has given us so much in Christ Jesus. To then crumble and complain against him, it cuts then, people of God, right against the very heart of the gospel itself. Let us be thankful for all that he has done for us and trust that our God will provide for all our needs, even as he has done once and for all in the God-man Jesus Christ who gave his own life for your soul. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you and we are cut to the quick by your word. We know that your word is like a sword that cuts both joint and marrow, that it is extremely sharp and penetrating into the soul. And we recognize our own failures, our own inabilities to keep your law perfectly. And so, Father, we come before you humbly confessing that we are guilty before you and that we are so thankful for all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would help us on our daily basis to continue to return our praises and thanksgiving to you for what else is there for us to do. We cannot earn your pleasure. We cannot earn your favor. But Christ Jesus has. So we thank you for him. We thank you for the work of the gospel that has been given to us and that manifests itself in our lives by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit and the Word together. So we pray, Father, that you would continue to build up your church. We pray for Harvest OPC, this congregation. We do pray that you would help the leaders of this congregation. Surely, Father, as they are seeking the benefit and the good of the people of God here and doing, making the best decisions they can with the information that they have, Father, we are finite creatures. We are limited in our understandings. We do not know the ends of all these things, but you do. And so we pray that in the midst of them, you would help us to be content, that you would strengthen your people together into a unified body of Christ. Help us to bear with one another's burdens and to love one another, even as you have loved us and given your own life for us. We pray for Pastor Dale and for Pastor Wayne as they uh, 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 continue to labor for you. We pray that you would give them respite and rest and refreshment in their souls. And Father, we pray that you would continue to hold them in the palm of your hand. We pray that you would remind all of your people of these truths, that you do hold your people in the palm of your hand, and that you will never let them go. You will never leave us nor forsake us. So, Father, we thank you 
for this word. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we are continuing to be sanctified, as we are continuing to walk according to the calling by which we have been called. We pray that you would help us to live lives of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you have done. Help us to, to, uh, um, or help us to recognize when it is the old man who is at work within us that is raising his ugly head. And we ask that you would give us grace to refrain from grumbling and complaints. And in all things, Father, when we fail to be obedient unto you, when we fail to keep your law, we pray that you would turn our eyes to Christ Jesus, turn our eyes to our Lord and Savior, turn our eyes to the one who is our righteousness, who pleads, whose blood pleads a better word than the blood of Abel over us. Our God, we come before you. We thank you for him for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, people of God, let us close by singing together hymn number 679, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus.'"